parenting. Just the thought of it can make you feel tired and anxious. But whether you're a new parent or you've been at it for years, you know that parenting is a journey. The days are long and the years are short. The pressure to be a good parent while trying to pack all the memory-making experiences, teaching moments, discipline, support, comfort, and everything else in can be downright overwhelming. And then add trying to maintain a healthy marriage with quality time together, romance, support, and good communication into the mix, and you wonder how you can ever get it all done. But you can. Maybe just not all at the same time or in the same day, but you can. I'm here to help and encourage you to embrace your parenting and your marriage, to find joy in the little moments and at the most unexpected times, to have good communication with your children and your partner, to give and receive support and comfort, and not only to be self-aware and self-disciplined, but to discipline your children in love as well. I'm giving you permission to put your oxygen mask on first so you can serve everyone else and your family better, so you can tap into that joy and abundance of the life you've chosen. So whether you're single, married, divorced, or widowed, and whether you have one child or 10, this show is for you. Welcome to Authenticate. I'm your host, Kate Godfrey. After 11 years of raising children of all different ages, races, cultures, and backgrounds with my husband at a boarding school, in addition to raising our own two daughters at the same time, I've learned a thing or two about conscious and respectful parenting, while also working with my husband and putting my marriage first. I want to share with you parenting and marriage tips, advice, and experiences that will help you embrace those long days and wish for even longer years. I'll speak directly and authentically about parenting and marriage, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows. I invite you to come along with me on this journey as I encourage and help you to love the life you're leading and build the life that you want with your family. I can't wait to walk alongside you. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Authenticate. If you just listened to my brand new trailer, you know that I am pivoting to cover marriage and parenting. We're also going to be throwing a little bit of life in there, self-care and health. If you don't know me and you're brand new to Authenticate, welcome. I will introduce myself. My name is Kate Godfrey, obviously, and I have been a house parent at a boarding school for the past 11 years. My husband and I helped to raise and live with 12 high school girls for about seven and a half years, and they were in ninth to 11th grade. And for the past three years, we've been with elementary boys, and they are currently in second to fourth grade. So total combined, we have lived and raised and worked with children from all different races, backgrounds, cultures for the past 11 years, while we have also been raising our own two daughters, Trinity and Sydney, during that entire time. Um, I had Sydney was a baby whenever we started this job, and Trinity was a toddler, and now they are 11 and 13. So we have been constantly surrounded by children for years. So I thought, what better way to um, hone in on something for Authenticate and help other people than start to talk about parenting, because we know a little bit about that. And Nate and I, my husband, um, have been married for 17 years, so we know a little bit about marriage as well. And I think we've had a pretty successful marriage so far. So for people who are interested in marriage and parenting, want a little help, advice, direction, anything like that, Authenticate is now pivoting to covering those topics, and we're going to be giving that advice and that help, that encouragement, that support on all different types of topics, everything from discipline to reading to your kids to having good communication, hygiene, anything that you can think of. And obviously, we're also going to be talking about how to have um, a strong and successful relationship with your partner as well. So welcome to today's episode. Today, I had the privilege of interviewing Lori and Sam Bagar. They are also fellow house parents at the school, and they have been married for over 39 years. When we recorded, it was a little bit before their 39th anniversary, but they have now been married for over 39 years, and they have a great story to share 
advice to give at the end. So I really hope you enjoy this episode and take a lot away from it. So let's dive in. Tell me how long you guys have been married. Give me some of your background of your childhood and then how you guys met. On December 31st of this year, we'll be married 39 years. Wow. And um, we have a really cool story of how interwoven our lives actually were and we didn't know it. So do you want to go ahead? So my background was growing up really poor. Mm -hmm. We had a farm as kids that helped us survive. My dad worked a a job in the village where we lived. We lived out in the country, but so the village was 15 or 20 minutes away. And he delivered fuel oil for a overall company that did feed. They did all kinds of different things, like almost like an Agway. It was called CE Kiff. But anyway, so he delivered fuel oil for them and did other things when there was no fuel oil to be delivered. And so he he earned it. I guess it would have, would have been good money, but he eventually bought the farm and we moved. And then we were on the farm for seven years and then he died. Hmm. So we moved when I was four. He died when I was 11. And by then he had the farm up and running and we were milking cows. And that's how we survived from that period forward. My older brother, he left the, the farm when he was 18. My oldest brother, he got involved with another guy who was a farmer who was a Christian. And my brother, Andrew, started going to church and then came back and told us about this wonderful youth group that we could be a part of because there were so many pretty girls there. <laughs> and so we decided to start going. And I think it was probably about a year or so after we were going to, to the church, not just to the youth group. My brother and I talked to the pastor, my next oldest brother, just above me, talked to the pastor and received Jesus as our savior. I think I was 15, headed towards 16 at that time. And so after we continued to go to that church for a period of years and I graduated from high school, I didn't really have any desire to, to really like pursue college because I just felt like my mom needed me on the farm. Mm-hmm. And so I had no thoughts about college or anything. And so in August of my, of the year I graduated from high school, my older brother, John, who was the one that was with me when I got saved, said something to me about going to college. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, well, I'm going to college. And I'm like, you are? And he's like, yeah. And so he said, you should come with me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And so he told me about the college he was going to go to. It was a small school in Syracuse, New York. And, and so I talked to the pastor about it. And he goes like, you should go. He goes, at least go for one year. So I started to pray about it and really seek the Lord about it. And through a series of events, I really felt like the Lord wanted me to be there. And the biggest hurdle was it's like the beginning of August. Now it's one week into August. Classes start the first part of September. What college is going to accept me in? Right. So I just filled out the application. And back then you had to mail it because there was no email. (laughs) And sent it in. And I got a call back in like a week saying I was accepted. I'm like, wow. That's awesome. Of course, at the time, I didn't realize they were so desperate for students, they would have accepted anything. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so I ended up going to college in Syracuse, and that's how I ended up moving to Syracuse. Okay. And and I started working for United Parcel Service to pay for school. Um, And I was 18 when I started working for UPS. Wow. And so I got through my junior year, and then just a lot of stuff happened and I dropped out of college Mm. and that was in 1980. And I met Lori in 1982 because her parents were like best friends with my pastor at the church where I was attending. And she was the, what do you call that? Custodial engineer. (laughs) It was was a a summer job. (laughs) 
and that's how I met her. So Laura was talking about being intertwined. Her grandfather was directly involved in financing the school that I actually ended up going to as a, as a student. The church that hosted the seminary, those, like he said, those, uh, that pastor couple became really good friends with my parents. My, I grew up in the military. Mm. And so one of the places we were stationed was uh, near Syracuse, New York. And so we started attending this church and got really involved in the starting of this seminary. And my grandfather, he was very wealthy and he absolutely loved the pastor and his wife as well, um, even though they lived five hours away. Um, When they would come up to visit and met them, they just they got to be very good friends as well. And so my grandfather really was burdened to be one of the main financiers for the school. And so um, he would come up and be a part of whatever was going on. Mm -hmm. And then we got transferred and I'm also five years behind Sam. So when he was ready to go to seminary, I was going into seventh grade. I was in seventh grade and I had already moved and, you know, we, we never even met during that time, but our, our paths were crossed because of my grandfather's connection to the seminary. And then when my dad retired from the military, I was a junior going into my senior year and it was actually before that because he was gone for a whole year before you moved up there. That's true. He was, I was in 10th grade and he was going to continue that job. And my mom had stayed back so that I could finish Mm -hmm. school there because we had moved so many times. I I moved eight times in 11 years uh, in my elementary years. And um, they wanted me to be able to stay and finish and I had by that time been pre-engaged, they called it, uh, to someone in high school. And they just wanted, they gave me the choice of whether I wanted to stay there and finish or because they decided to stay, my dad decided to stay in New York for this job to move with my family. And I couldn't explain it other than that is when the Holy Spirit started really whispering in my ear, you need to be with your family. And I, I couldn't explain it. I, I remember trying to tell my boyfriend at the time and other friends, hey, I'm moving. And they would say, well, why? Because my relatives were there. I could have lived with them. Mm-hmm. And I said, I really don't know how to explain it to you other than I know I'm supposed to move. And so I did and graduated from the school where my father was the administrator. It was a small Christian school. And then the church that housed my school was a sister church to the school or the uh, seminary mm-hmm. where Sam was going. Okay. And so their seminary would come over to our school because we had a gym and play basketball and things like that. And it's a kind of a funny story. I love cars. Well, let me just, I love sports cars. Let me, inter- <laughs> inter- 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 let me insert something here that's just kind of interesting. So I stopped going to the school June of 1979. Her father started the school, started being the administrator of the Christian day school in the next town over in the fall of 1980. Mm-hmm. And then she moved up to the Syracuse area in the, in the summer of 1981. Okay. And then went to the Christian school for her senior year, 81, 82. Meanwhile, I was involved in doing other stuff. And at the time, wasn't really 
completely attending because I was involved in another church, the Liverpool Baptist Church, where there was our mutual pastor friends at the time. And so I left the seminary like just as her brother was coming in. Wow. My brother went to the same seminary. And we ended up graduating because he went there for three years. And then I went back his senior year to graduate. We were actually seniors together in the seminary and graduated the same year. And they they had like a Valentine banquet over at that the church where he attended. And I went there and the pastor and his wife tried to set us up and said, you know, this is Lori Renault, and we don't introduce her to just anybody. Uh-huh. And he smelled a setup and I was still with somebody mm-hmm. and we were like, eh, nah. Okay. Yeah, I didn't want anything to do with it. I always felt like, you know, I can like figure this stuff out on my own. I don't need somebody to point me in the right direction. Right. So right. It's awkward. it was just very interesting. And it was the, it was the pastor's wife, Mrs. Kreider, that was really good friends with her parents that tried to set us up back then. <laughs> it was very interesting to me when I look back on it, Kate, because Lori wasn't a believer. Mm-hmm. Okay. She was living in a Christian home, but she hadn't really made us her own profession of faith. Okay. And so it was almost like there was this like connection that was happening in the spirit, but at the same time, because she wasn't a believer, the Lord was like keeping her like invisible to me, Mm -hmm. even though that incident happened, I still didn't know who she was. Right. And then when she, after she got saved in in the, uh, at the end of my senior year, I accepted the Lord as my savior. Then all of a sudden it was like, Oh my goodness, who's this girl? I've never seen her before. And her brother and I knew each other because we attended the same church. It was a very, very interesting kind of like weird spiritual thing. Like the Lord was saying, I'm keeping you away from her until she's a believer because you can't be together with somebody who's not a believer. But one of the other really amazing things that happened that we realized looking back was part of the reason why our lives were were intertwined was I used to be in the choir at that church. Mm -hmm. And so choir was Saturday mornings at like eight o'clock or nine o'clock. It was in the mornings early. And I always used to go to everything early. I was because I grew up on a farm. So I was always up and at things really early. And so I went over to the church one morning really early and I was making coffee for the other choir members to come, just waiting for them to come. And I heard someone playing the piano and I'm like, who's here at the church playing the piano? It's, um, I thought I was here by myself. And so I didn't think anything of it, but it, then, then I just got really intrigued by the quality of the music that was being played, being played. And at the time I didn't know that it was the anointing of the Lord. I had no idea that's what it was, but I was really drawn to the music. And I used to carry my camera around with me all the time during that period of time. Anything that looked like it would be a cool picture, I would take a picture of it. Yeah. And so I snuck upstairs because the kitchen was down in the basement of that church. And of course, the sanctuary was upstairs. And I snuck upstairs to see who was playing because I didn't want to disturb whoever was playing. Like I knew the church was empty. Mm-hmm. So if I went, hey, how are you doing? I thought I would freak somebody <laughs> out. Right. So I snuck up and saw her playing, saw this girl playing the piano. And I said, oh, I was so drawn to the music. I took a picture. Wow. And then like subsequently totally forgot all about it. And so we were married for like five years and Lori was going through the pictures that I had. And she's like, she pulls that one out and she goes, Sam, where'd you get this picture? And I'm like, what picture? And she said, this picture. And she showed it to me from a distance. And I said, oh, that was a girl that was playing the piano at the church one time. And she's like, this is me. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And then I looked at the picture and it's real obvious that it's her. But at the time I had no idea. That's and so, so that was kind of a really cool little thing that we have in our relationship. That's like the Lord was trying to draw I us together, it. like way back then. It was yeah. pretty neat. Oh, yeah. and anyway, back to the car. 
Yes. <laughs> when I got, when I did get saved and the, and I broke off the relationship with, with the person uh, down in Pennsylvania and um, we were in New York, he had come over to play basketball with her brother. I was a fast, I love basketball. So um, I was looking out the window to see who was coming that day and in drives this beautiful 1970s Chevelle. <laughs> Uh, it, it's maxed out it's got beautiful wheels big engine I mean it is it's a sweet car and I'm like wow I'm just gonna stand here and see who is driving that car yeah. and so out comes this tall handsome Damn. guy and I was like huh yep and he's coming here to play basketball mm-hmm. Woo. <laughs> and he had me at room room and <laughs> Anyway, we went in and we played basketball and I was actually, I'm only five foot three, but I was MVP, uh, basketball and volleyball. That's awesome. In, in high school, I love sports. And we, when, when I played sports at that age, I didn't care who you were. I'm very competitive right. and I don't care how tall you are. Yeah. Sam is six foot five. You're not going to get my rebound. I love that. So I just went in and she was playing point and we had the ball and we were driving down and when i went to go in to get the rebound she literally hip checked me oh, to yeah. like get me out of the way and i was like i thought to myself who is this little girl that's hip checking me you know because she was so short yes. and you know that was before we actually were like that was the beginning of us actually paying attention to each other but it was okay. before anything serious ever happened so yeah and then um we just kept running into uh, each other because our churches played sports together mm-hmm. and and all and just to sum all of this up, we did begin to date later that summer. Was it the end of July? Well, we we actually really took a like interest in each other in mid June of 1982. We were at a birthday party for one of the people from my church, and it was at the Crider's house, mm-hmm. the pastor of the church's house. And so I didn't know Lori was going to be there. She had no idea I was going to be there, but we had seen each other a couple of times before that. But that was like the first time that I actually noticed like, hmm, this might be a girl that I could be interested in. And then we started like talking to each other and we would see each other at games and that kind of stuff. And I would spend some time with her. One of the things that was like a catalyst for us actually beginning to date was we were at a ball game together. Her brother and I played on the same team for our church, Liverpool. And we were playing her team from Baldwinsville. And I came to the game with my Chevelle, of course. <laughs> and I had another girl with me that was somebody I was, oh. sounds funny, but I was babysitting this girl. Okay. She was a friend of a friend and they, she didn't have anything to do. So my friend said, hey, will you spend some time with her? And I had no idea. I just met her that day. So I pulled up in my Chevelle and me and this other girl get out and Lori's like, whoa, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. And because we had already started to like pay attention to each other a little bit. And so about halfway through the game, she's going to the store to get some drinks or something. And I said, well, I'll go with you. And so I jump in a car with her and she was so nervous. Her brother's car was a standard. She was really having a hard time trying to, to get it to the store, which is only up the street. And I didn't realize I was making her nervous, but she was all the time thinking, you came with another girl. Why are you going to me, going with me to the store? Right. And I wanted to go with her because I wanted to spend some time with her and I needed a drink or something, but it was more for me. It was more like, I'm going to go with you to the store because I want to spend some time with you. 
And so through a course of events that happened, we just began to spend more and more time together. And eventually, I mean, we were doing a lot of stuff as churches. Like we would go out and get like gym dandies from friendlies after. And Lori was always surprised how much ice cream I could eat. And, and just little things like that, that we were doing together. And eventually we started seeing each other. Like I would go over to her house or whatever. And um, so finally I said to her, we were probably dating for about, not really dating, but just like spending time together for about a week or two. And I said, are we calling this thing anything that we're doing? And she's like, well, what do you mean? And I said, like, are we dating? And she's, she, it was almost like she didn't want to say, yeah, I think we should. She was really shy and really quiet. And I said, okay, well, we can call this dating if that's okay with you. And she's like, okay. And so that was kind of the weird way that we started dating. And, and I think we, we were like seriously dating, like seriously dating, like seeing each other like all the time for probably about two full weeks. And then Lori told me about her, some of the things that happened to her in her past on like a Friday night. No, it was a Saturday. It was a Saturday night? Saturday night. On a Saturday night, we've been on a date together and we stayed up till really early in the morning. And some of the things she told me were very upsetting to me. And so I wasn't really sure how I felt about her, Mm -hmm. you know, because we were just, we just started dating. We were, it wasn't like we were really serious about anything. You know, we just started dating, getting to know each other. And after she told me that, we went for a walk and I left her on top of this little hill near her house and I went down to this little pond and I was just like, I was mad at the Lord. I was mad about what had happened to her. I was mad about, you know, all, all the stuff that was connected to that. I was just angry and, and I just felt, I just felt like, why don't I just walk away? I don't need to feel this pain, but I couldn't, I couldn't walk away. And, and I knew then that the Lord was saying that, I needed to go back up the hill and talk to her and that this was the one that God had for me. And I was like, so when I finally resolved that after probably an hour or more of walking around this little pond, I must have went around it probably 30 times. I went back up the hill with a resolve that this is what the Lord wanted and asked her to marry me. Wow. Yeah. And she, she waited up there the whole time. I, I honestly, Kate, I have no idea how long I was gone. Mm whether it was an hour or two hours. I mean, I don't think it was more than two hours, but it was a period of time. I knew that I already loved him mm-hmm. in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I just knew when, when we started dating, I felt like I had known him all of my life. Right. And the fact is we were interwoven all just about all of my life. Mm-hmm. And I, um, being a new Christian, knew the importance of integrity. Yes. And I, I needed to let him know, listen, you're seeing me now as somebody who is saved and born again. But here are some really hard things that happened to me before I met you. And I wanted to give him the opportunity to leave. Mm-hmm. And I figured that if it was early in our relationship, the pain wouldn't be as bad for either one of us. Wrong. But I, I wanted him, I wanted to be honest and give him the opportunity to, to end our relationship or continue the relationship. So as I sat up on that hill, thinking that every car that went by was his, um, I, it was just such an incredible time with the Lord, uh, just crying out to him. And I, I said, Lord, he's yours. I'm yours. And if this is meant to be, you'll work it out. And if not, I have you. That's all I need. And it was a really incredible time of 
prayer and just trusting the Lord. Um, I thought Sam had, had left. I thought he had chose to go. And it was by that time, it was four o'clock in the morning. Oh my gosh. And um, I, it was just, it wasn't yet daylight, but I could see this really tall figure walking up to the top of the hill and it was him. And he, he got down on one knee and he, he said, Lori, I, I love you. And I want you to be my wife. Would you please marry me? Wow. So, you know, I thought for about one second and said, yes. <laughs> Naturally. Uh, and, and yeah. And wow. that was September, September 10th, 1982. No, no, no was, that was two weeks before. It was two weeks before that. So yeah. I asked her to marry me. And then because it was the way that it happened, which is really kind of cool. It you is. Know, really a spiritual, wow. a spiritually cool story. And a kind of a neat romantic thing, but mm -hmm. I never had a ring. It just was like something and that just happened the way that right. happened. And even though it was, it's really cool. It wasn't like I had thought, oh my goodness, I'm not going to ask her to marry me until I have a ring. I knew what the Lord wanted me to right. do. Right. And so we went, so I went home. I dropped her. We went back to her house. I dropped her off. I went home. And then after church that morning, I just, I went back to my house and I just was going over to see her for the afternoon. And we hadn't talked to each other since that, mm -hmm. that night. And I just was like, so compelled and I'm, I'm horrible about stuff like this. It's so funny, <laughs> but I just felt so compelled to go to the grocery store and buy her some roses. And I couldn't, it's like, I would never do something like that. And I don't know why I couldn't get away from it. It's like, I would put, oh yeah, I need to do that. And then I'd get in my car and drive away and get halfway to Baldwinsville and think, oh man, I forgot. Cause that's been the pattern for me right. for even all of our marriage. <laughs> And somehow the Lord just had me like, that was like in the forefront of my mind. And I went and picked out uh, a half a dozen like baby roses and took them to her as, you know, as a gift when I went to see her that afternoon. And I walked in the door and her, I didn't know this, but her brother had overheard the conversation and her parents were really mad that she told me that what happened. Wow. And they felt like she had ruined her chances, not knowing she didn't want to tell them that. No, he actually asked me to marry him. And I said, yes, oh <laughs> so they didn't know that. But then I come in with flowers. They never expected me to come back. And I come in with flowers. And I remember her dad looking at me carrying the flowers. And he's like, are those for me? And I'm like, uh, no. Sure. <laughs> so, I mean, that was kind of the start of us. And then I, I, I still have those flowers. Of course you She do. dried them and put them into a. Yeah, I put them in a frame. I love that. So we went a couple of days later. I can't remember exactly when it was, but it wasn't too long later, a couple of days later. And I said, well, we need to get an engagement ring. And my thought was I can pick one out or we can pick one out together that she's really going to like. And then I don't have to worry that. Uh, you know, uh. <laughs> so we went and we picked the engagement ring out together. And then it, when it was finally sized and all ready, it came in for me to pick up on September the 10th. Okay. This is the unromantic part because I had already asked her to marry me. I was like, and then we, I picked up the ring and we were going over to tell her parents that we were engaged. And I, when I picked her up, I forget where you were. I said, Oh, by the way, your ring's in the glove box. <laughs> Just want to grab so, that quick. <laughs> so for me, that was like the awkward, unromantic, normal person that I was. <laughs> and she reaches in the glove box, takes out the ring, and now she's wearing it on her finger. And I'm like, we well, really need to tell your parents or they're just going to find <laughs> out because you can't just be wearing that ring around. 
Well, it's, it's <laughs> very I important. I'm old fashioned in that aspect. It was very important to have my parents' blessing. Yes. Which I already knew because they absolutely loved him. Who wouldn't. <laughs> um, I, uh, it was the right and proper thing to do to honor to honor my parents. So, and I was so nervous about it, but we were just absolutely convinced that they knew that we were going to get married. And so I, that gave me the courage to go in and say, Hey, you know, I'd really like to marry your daughter. Is that going to be okay? And so that's how we ended that up. That was in September and we were married December 31st. Wow. Of 1982. It was a whirlwind. It really, it really was. But I know one of your questions was how did you know that you were to, to marry the person that you're with. And um, I explain it, our kids and people that know about us ask us that question. And I just knew when I met him and got to know him, it felt like I had known him my entire life. It's almost like, isn't there a scripture verse that says, I know um, whom it is that my heart loves. Yes. And it's like, he was, a, he was meant to be, he's a part of me. Yep. And um, I felt like I knew him my entire life. And I knew without a doubt, I knew um, when we first started dating that I- I'm going to, I would like to marry him. I don't know how he feels. <laughs> um, he told me, he told me that he would kiss me when he knew he loved me. Oh, it took him two whole weeks. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> After two weeks, he was going he was going away to visit his family and he turned around and gave me a kiss. Oh, and I was like, oh, oh, yes, yes, he loves me. And um, I had never had that kind of respect before mm. that he, he wouldn't even think of uh, touching me or kissing me unless he knew that he really loved me. Right. And I just have always really appreciated that he honored me in that way. Yes. That's so, huge. But that was the longest two weeks of my life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I honestly, I mean, I knew that I had feelings for Lori, but I wasn't sure that I loved her like you love a person that you're going to get married to. Right. But that incident yeah. that happened that particular night when I asked her to marry me was like the, the catalyst that actually made me search my feelings enough. Like, why can't I leave? Why can't I just walk away from this? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I was angry at the Lord for all the pain that I was feeling, but I, and I knew that he was holding me there to not leave but I finally sorted through everything and realized I can't walk away from her because I love her right and so if I love her this this much that I can't walk away from all this pain that I the only real option is for us to be married and I knew the Lord was was wanting that so that was how we understood even after only two weeks of dating we were just convinced by the Lord that we were supposed to be together and I think if you have a foundation like that which I think oftentimes young people have no concept of that. Right. If you have a foundation like that at the beginning, then how can things not work out? If you know for sure as a young girl that this is the guy you're to marry, you know for sure as a young guy, this is the girl you're supposed to marry, then how can you not have a foundation on which you can build the rest of your lives? And so we've always stood really, really firm on that. We knew that God had put us together. And just even through the years, we've seen some of the crazy, like we would look back like that. We were married for like two or three years when Lori found that picture. And I'm like, oh my goodness, here's another reason why our lives are intertwined. And we, she actually had a picture of me that I found years later. I did. Not her personally, but her family had a picture of me my first year of seminary in all their pictures. And I'm like, Lori, where, you have this picture. Do you know what this picture's of? And she's like, oh yeah, that's the seminary. And I'm like, 
I'm in this picture and I showed her and she's like, oh, no way. Yeah. I have, so, a, I have a picture of my grandfather. My grandfather was an, an unbelievable musician. And so when he would come and visit the church where the seminary was, uh, he would he would play the organ there. Um, and I have a picture of him playing at one of the services that was christening mm -hmm. the seminary where he was going to school. So this is the best story. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it, what's interesting to me about our story more than anything is how not only the intertwining, because that's pretty cool, but the fact that God was so actively involved in everything that was happening to the point where we recognized his leading, even as young as we were, mm -hmm. and knew that this was something that God wanted for us. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we dove into it headlong, obviously, because we felt like it was, we were in love with each other, but we also knew it was what the Lord wanted. Right. And that's why we didn't wait to get married. We planned the, the wedding for four months after on her parents' anniversary so we could honor oh, them. That's nice. Mm -hmm. oh, I love yeah. that. And then our daughter and her husband are also married on the same day to honor us and their grandparents. That's great. So, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> December 31st is a hard time to really go out on your anniversary because it's yes, it is. <laughs> It's always a family thing. So we ended up celebrating because like the first year we were married everybody's like go go it's for sure you know so we did but then the second year they're like you're leaving but it's new year's eve and so we decided we would start celebrating our anniversary on the date that we got engaged because there's nothing okay. happening on september the 10th no so we go out for our anniversary on september the 10th we celebrate twice yeah we do celebrate even better twice. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's great what did the first few years of marriage look like in terms of ups, downs, challenges, maybe that you didn't expect? And then as kids come along, um, we, we did a lot of really cool things. Highly recommend this to people who are dating or pre-engaged or engaged couples. We kept a journal. We shared it. Uh, he would write his section. I would write my section. And we kept a journal of our courtship and of our early years and what we really wanted in a marriage. And we both, um, Sam was 23 when we got married we, and, and I was 18 and we uh, sat down and talked about what we wanted. Uh, did we want to have children right away? Um, we talked about everything. He's the first man I had ever met that really wanted to know what I had to say about anything up until that point. It was more of, um, you're to be seen and not heard. Mm -hmm type relationships and he's the first he would ask me question after question after question and listen to what I had to say we'd stay up till all hours of the night just talking yeah. and I'd never had that before yeah. and and I just I really love that about him and so we talked a lot of this stuff out before we were married in that very short period of time and we knew and we both really had a desire to have our children early when we were younger Mm -hmm. Um, and so we started having, uh, trying for children right away and I got pregnant. Uh, we were married in December. I got pregnant, I believe in February, we're, we're not real sure February or March of, of that year. And I was pretty much into my first trimester and the Lord called that baby home. Mm -hmm. And so our, uh, ups and downs, our first really down was the calling home of our first son, Joshua. Wow. And God was so gracious in that whole thing. 
that same pastor's wife, Mrs. Kreider, um, recommended the doctor to me to go to, and he was a godly man, mm -hmm. so godly. He, in fact, I didn't know this until he passed away, never ever charged our pastor's wife any medical bills wow. whatsoever to honor her as a pastor's wife. That's the kind of man he was. And so um, when he did some examining, um, he sat me down and he held my hand and so makes me weak. He said that, that I'm not going to be able to carry this baby a uh, full term because I had started bleeding. And he said, you know, Lori, sometimes God wants these youngsters at home with him in heaven. Right. And he said, I know because I've been a doctor for so long that there's probably something wrong with the baby physically that would be almost intolerable for him to survive in, in life and have a normal life. And this is God's grace to take him home because he's going to be totally healed. Yeah. And so that just gave me peace and comfort. Um, it was a really rough, they let me uh, have him uh, come naturally. Okay. And he did it. And I believe I was about three months along. And um, I lost a lot of blood during that time. So I had to go in and have several blood transfusions and of course the DNC and, and things like that. And it, it was a really hard time. They, they put me in the maternity ward for recovery. And I would see everybody else's babies being wheeled back and forth. I could hear them crying. It was a really lonely time, uh, a test. Uh, from the Lord, and um, huh, sorry, didn't mean to oh, I'm be so emotional. That was uh, 39 years ago. Wow! But the Lord is good. I know that we will meet Him again. And uh, I also lost another baby uh, at not after that, but two kids after that, mm -hmm. a little baby girl, Emily. But shortly after that, we got pregnant and had a bouncing nine pound, three ounce baby boy, uh, Benjamin. He's now 37. He's now 37 and a godly man, good husband, good dad. Then shortly after that, I had Kelly um, and she is married and uh, has a very wonderful husband and three kids. And then Emily, of course, we lost her very early. I, I hadn't even gone to the doctor yet. Oh, wow. And um, uh, it's a cool story how I know she was a girl. And that's for later, though. That's for later. It's a really cool God story. Uh, God gave her her name. And um, and then we had Nicholas, our last. Uh, um, I had very difficult pregnancies and deliveries. Mm -hmm. And so we felt that our quiver was full. Um, we wanted six kids and we had three living, uh, but they're all married or about to be married and so that makes six kids for us so we did we did get the desires of our heart and so that was a diff that was a difficult beginning of our marriage but we just were so in love with each other and we just had such faith and hope in the lord that he would bless us and uh, and he did and a lot of the times when we would have difficulties because how do you how are you in any kind of relationship with anyone and you don't have a difficulty? 
right. you know, there's always things that happen. Stuff gets misinterpreted. You say something the wrong way. You hear it the wrong way. And so you end up in some kind of an argument. But the, the positive thing about all the times that we had difficulties was that we would just sit down and talk about it until we worked it out. And we decided when we started dating and, and after we got engaged that we were never going to get divorced. That no matter what, we were going to sit down, we were going to figure this thing out and we we're going to work through every single problem that we had. We have never mentioned that word one time. In the context of our marriage. In 39 years. Wow. Because it's not an option. Right. And so that was like a rock. I mean, we had the, the God blessing for us in our marriage, but it was like a rock for us not to mention that. Mm-hmm. And so we knew that no matter what else was going on, we're going to work this thing out no matter what. And so every difficult situation that arose, we would just sit down and sit and talk about it. And sometimes it could be resolved in a, in a brief moment. And I remember one time there was instances that happened where we would be talking until two, three o'clock in the morning and I'd have to go to work at five. So it was wow. whatever it takes though. Yeah. yeah, whatever it takes. And so we actually worked through some difficult things in our marriage because we decided in advance we were going to stay together and work it out. Hmm. Yeah. I love that. I think that's where a lot of people are off track, not willing to work it out and have the hard yeah. conversations. And you you asked about faith, and that was always a really important part for us. In the middle of life that happens, and mm-hmm. you know, we were going to church every week. Our kids were going to church every week. We never lost sight of our faith. Mm-hmm. We always held on to our faith. We always were encouraged by going to church, encouraged by the messages, encouraged by the worship. And it was always like a spiritual renewal on a weekly basis for us to spend time in church. And so that was always a key thing for us too. We always had faith to stand on. When everything else looked like it was completely falling apart, right. we always had our faith to stand on. Like, God, you're involved in this. And so we're just going to trust you. We're going to maybe take take a step back and, and let you figure out, help us figure out what's going on so that we can move forward again. But we always had our faith that we trusted in to keep us solid, not just in our marriage, but at that point then in our family. Wow. And one of the reasons why I, I need to tell you this, one of the reasons why I especially wanted to start a family really early. And I felt like I waited even too long at because when Ben was born, I was 25. Mm. Um, I, I felt like I waited too long. I wanted to get married and have kids when I was 19 because yeah. my father died when he was 53 years old yeah. and I was 11. And so I know that's fairly young for anyone to die, but I always felt like if I could get married young and have my kids really early, then I would not have to worry that they would not grow up without a dad. And right. so even if I died when I was 53, if I had my kids in my 20s, they would all be grown before I ever died. Mm-hmm. And so that was a really like a, a driving factor for me. And then the other thing that was an issue in our marriage that we resolved was I always felt like my mom didn't know how to handle things after my dad died. And so she made some unwise choices that really hurt us as a family. And I was like, Lori, you're not going to do that. I'm going to teach you how to do this. I mean, you're going to do this. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. And she was like, you're putting this stuff on me that doesn't need to be put on me. And I'm like, no, you need to learn because if something happens to me and something will happen to me because I was convinced I was going to die, yeah, then you, you won't have an issue because you won't know how to do these things. Right. And so eventually we got to the point where I realized that was inordinate and I was living out of fear and I didn't need to. And I needed to, those responsibilities were really mine in our marriage. And I needed to make sure that I was picking those things up and, and taking care of those things so she could be who she was supposed to be, not just in our marriage, but 
in our family and in the church and, you know, as, as a person. Wow. It's amazing how just moments like that in your life just affect how you think and the decisions you make and can instill. Yeah, and you, you allow those things to define you. Yes. And then we had to, I mean, it was a really, I was probably 51 years old and I was not totally consumed, but we were in the ministry as pastors at that time. I was kind of consumed with the fact that I was only going to live for another two years. Yeah. And I, finally, the Lord said to me one day, stop thinking about dying. You're not going to die. <laughs> when I reached 53, I realized what the Lord was really saying, that I'm not going to die at 53. Right. He's like 54, maybe. Not 54. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to smack you when you're going to die. <laughs> but, so now I'm 63 and it's been Uh-oh. 10 years and I don't even think about it anymore. I don't worry about it. It's not a part of my psyche. I realize yep. the Lord has taken care of all those things. And yep. Yeah. Hmm. How did you guys raise your children to know the Lord? What, what different things and values did you instill to do your best to make sure that they would follow Christ? One of the things that I feel like we did at first, which I don't feel like was really the proper thing to do. Our, our pastor at the time of the church said that if you're not saved, you can't pray. God doesn't hear your prayers, which I, I don't know that that's true. I don't actually think that is true. And so we didn't go about to teach our kids how to pray. Okay. Which the Bible says, raise your children and nurture and admonition of the Lord. So if you're not teaching them when they're really young, some really important concepts, right. how are they going to carry those things over? Right. No matter so what. So we would always pray at all the meals because we wanted to wait till they were actually believers to pray because we were convinced from what our pastor had said that, you know, uh, you have to be a believer for God to hear your prayer. Huh. Anyway, so eventually our kids did come to know Jesus as their savior. But one of the really interesting stories was Benjamin had an incident happen at church and he accepted Jesus. But our daughter, Kelly, when she was three, she just came to our bedroom one night, right after we put her to bed, we were like in our bedroom, you know, getting ready to go to bed ourselves. And she came into our bedroom one night and just announced, daddy, I accepted Jesus as my savior. I'm like, and then she walked out. (laughs) And so I said to Lori, I go, did you talk to her? And she's like, no, did you talk to her? I'm like, no, I didn't talk to her. So I'm like, well, this is interesting. She just marches in, announces she accepted Jesus, marches back out. And I'm like, I couldn't believe it. So I went downstairs to her bedroom and I started asking her like all these like deep spiritual questions. Like, <laughs> tell me how you know Jesus is your savior. Three-year-old. And I'm a three-year-old. No joke, Kate. Oh my God. And so she was giving me these like deep understanding wow. um, answers to these questions. And I was like, there's no way she would know this if it wasn't the spirit of the Lord. Oh my gosh. And so I went back upstairs and told Lori, I said, she's genuinely a Christian. She genuinely, and she just decided she wanted to get saved and did it. It was very know. interesting. I like her. Yeah. <laughs> you would like her. That's my woman. <laughs> <laughs> and then Nicholas, our youngest, oh my goodness. If he had a tail, it would be wagging all the time. He mm. was just the happy uh caboose to our family <laughs> and he was so funny um when he was he's he's a big boy he's six foot five just like that the oldest, the oldest brother does not like that because yep. he's only almost six foot um he blames me oh my god <laughs> oh my god but anyway um nicholas just a funny story well he when he started going to Sunday school, he was probably about three, but he was always a big kid, always, and always a head and shoulders taller than everybody else. And so he, he would eat a lot. He was just always hungry. 
And his first experience going to Sunday school was a good friend of ours was the teacher. And she grabbed us after church and she said, I need to tell you something. And we were like, oh, great. What did Nicholas do? Did he beat somebody up? What did he do? <laughs> and she said, no, she said, and this was back in the 80s before stickers had self-sticking. You had to lick them. Oh, right. And she said, right. we did a sticker project and Nicholas didn't have any on his paper. He ate them all. <laughs> and I, 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 they probably were like stickers of like, bananas and probably tasted good and this, the glue tasted good and that was our nick so he ate all of his stickers oh my but god he he That's also um he accepted the lord at a young at a young age um growing up though we've we're actually writing a, a book about our lives and what happened after <clears> we <throat> accepted the call to go into ministry mm -hmm. um because the enemy didn't want that to happen Right. And he will attack your weakest point when yep. you say yes to the Lord. And my weakest point, obviously, is my children. I almost died having all of my children and they mean the world to me. And so uh, when we took that call into ministry, oh, all hell broke loose on our family. And that's probably for another, yes. another podcast. Um, praise the Lord. And I'll really fast forward. They're all doing very, very well now, but they went through, mm. you name it, they went through it and are still, still healing from the trauma of what happened to them. But we'll save that for another time. What does the empty nest stage look like for you? We, I know that your house parents- What do you mean empty nest? It's not so <laughs> empty. I know that's still another conversation. The empty nest of your own children, how has that affected your marriage? Like good ways, bad ways, ways maybe you didn't expect? I, I really felt like house parented. Yeah, before we were house parenting, all our kids are, were already gone. So okay. one of the things that I really felt like for me was like, you're 18 years old, get out. I want to be with your mom. <laughs> so we, because we had our kids really early, I always felt like that would be a really cool time for us. Right. To be able to like renew our relationship and all that. And so that's kind of where our focus was. I was like, you know, you're 18, you get to boot, I get to spend your inheritance, you know, <laughs> renewing our relationship. And so we kind of did that. We actually went on a journey to figure out how we could be really great spouses to each other after all the kids were gone. Yeah. And well, we'll back that up. We always, we, we were, we're watchers. We watched people ahead of us, older than us. And some of them, their marriages fell apart when the kids left home. Mm. And so we, we were like, why is, why is this happening? Right. And we realized that their priorities were backwards. Mm -hmm. It's always God first, then your spouses, then your children, right. then, then others. And too many people have God first, which I don't know how that could be, but God first, then the children, right. and then the marriage. And what do you do when the children leave? And you, you don't even know each other. And so we always, um, we wouldn't even allow our kids to sit between us in church mm. because we wanted them to see that, no, this, this comes first. Our relationship comes first. Right. And then our love and care for you. And so they always either sat on his lap or on either side of us 
just to make that point mm -hmm. to our, our children growing up because we are all about marriage and, and keeping our marriage together. When Ben left home, he was the first one. Mm -hmm. Sam was okay. Was I was a basket case. I mean, we were living in upstate New York and he, he was going to Liberty university, which was 12 hours away. Okay. And I was that mom that followed the school bus to school and kindergarten to make sure they got there. Okay. <laughs> because, um, the risk for me having children was great. And so that the Lord would give me those children. Um, I took that very seriously mm -hmm. and, um, when they left, it was really hard for me. I'm not a, usually a crier. I cried the whole 12 hours home. Oh. Sam did not even know how to console me. Um, it was, it was hard. And it was that way with each one of them. Kelly uh, left and, and got married and Nicholas left to go in the military. I was, a, I was a wreck wow. and I had to just work through that next <clears throat> season of life. It's like, wait a minute, I don't have anybody to take care of right. except my husband now. Right. And I, it's a, it was a new season for me. Yeah. And Sam was always like, he said, he was like, I didn't get your mom very long when we were first married. So you guys need to go on your way so I can have your mom back. And, and so I was affected was, by it in a different way. He was celebrating and I was like, Oh, um, but I quickly, quickly adjusted <clears throat> and we do everything together he's my best friend but we we do everything together we're so grateful that's one of the things we do love about being in ministry and here is that we're together all the time mm -hmm. and we prefer that if yeah. i don't have him with me i feel like my covering is not on me mm -hmm. and um we just even to go to the store uh just to run up to the grocery store we'll go with each other mm -hmm. because we just want to be with each other and uh, be in the car together and, and whatnot. We're as close of a relationship as you can get this side of heaven mm -hmm. is, is what we have. Love it. And so, we'll drive for hours, like going yeah, to we just like to family drive. and, or whatever, going on a trip. And we're talking the entire time we're in the car. It's not like we just sit there and don't say anything. We're talking the entire time and it's all kinds of different subjects. Right. And a lot of it's spiritually focused because it should be. But yeah, so for us, it's always been about making sure that our relationship was a priority, making sure that the things that happened were taken care of so they didn't become issues between us. Right. And, and then just continuously renewing our relationship through communication. And One of the things I love that he still does to me, and he's always done this, is when we're traveling, um, he'll put in, he really is romantic. He doesn't think he is, but he'll put in uh, love songs that mean something to the both of us and he'll sing to me along I, with I, the music, I love course. I love it she's always recording me and then she plays the recordings back and I'm like I'm a terrible singer <laughs> not to her <laughs> you know you have this like picture in your mind that you're something that you're really not and, yes and then do. she plays them back and I'm sitting there going I'm singing like Neil Diamond or something else and and he'll be crying there'll be tears coming down his face because because it just reminds me of, of our relationship so she loves that and i'm like looking at the videos going i need to stop it I'm <laughs> no don't just mouth i can just mouth it like <laughs> think to somebody anyway. else's voice oh, i love it all right last question what is one piece of advice you would each give 
to whether it's newly married couples, couples like us, we've been married 17 years now. Anybody who's married, what is one piece of advice? One of the things that was told to me, which I, I wasn't a married person and you know I had never had sex, was make sure the sexual relationship, the sexual intimacy in your marriage is something that's really good. And if it is, then all the other problems seem small. Yeah. And I didn't realize it at the time. It was really wise advice from a lady that was like a mom to me. It was really wise advice. And I, and I didn't realize it at the time that it was actually what God wanted. Right. It's the glue that holds you together because sexual intimacy is what the Bible calls one flesh. Yes. And so a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they shall be one flesh. And Paul says, this is a great mystery, but nevertheless, I speak concerning Christ in the church. And so he didn't even understand how the sexual intimacy in a marriage makes you one flesh. But if you see it from a Christian point of view and you recognize like Song of Solomon and some of the other things that the Lord says in the scriptures about sexual intimacy, it becomes this like major part of a marriage that is glorious and wonderful and full of joy and and, and oneness and connectedness. And it's just an amazing thing that couples can share together that you only share with your spouse. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it became this like really important part of our marriage. They always say, if you put a nickel in a jar for every time you have sex, be, the year after you're married, it'll take you the rest of your life to get those nickels out. Like you put it enough in the first year you're married, it'll take you the rest of your life to get them out. And I was like, or you, that nickel jar the first year of our marriage would have been drained like the next six months of our marriage after the first year it's like there's no way we stopped having sexual intimacy like that at the first year of our marriage and so that was really an important factor for us because it 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 was the glue if you will that kept us as a couple kept us focused on each other kept the intimacy in our marriage and kept us talking to each other Mm -hmm. and it was always one of those things where if we had a disagreement of any kind we would always spend time talking it out. And then the end result was we would always go to the bedroom. Okay. So there was always that that was always happening as well. And, and so even through all the years of our marriage, we haven't had an issue in that area, which, you know, even after 40 years, you think. No, really? everyone happy. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of people assume that the longer you're married, the less you're having, or it's not as good, or maybe you're not interested. That's not true. Not true. And so for, for us to tell other couples, that would be something that I would say is a primary thing that you work out in the first year of your marriage. Mm -hmm. If you can have an open and honest conversation about sexual intimacy, because you don't know what the other expects or what the other is, is enjoying or not enjoying. If you can have an open and honest conversation about sexual intimacy with your spouse in the first few months up to a year of your marriage, you will have corrected some things in that very important part of your marriage that will matter for the rest of your marriage. And so in saying that, it's not just the sexual intimacy that's important. It's the ability for the couple to communicate. That's Mm -hmm. critically important in every single marriage. You have to have that openness to be able to say, not just about your marriage, but about finances, about your kids. Like this is something we really need to talk about. And, and so when you can have those open and honest conversations, that's something that really matters. And of course, the sexual intimacy is what glues us together it's what binds us together as a one as a oneness couple i would say that one of and i totally agree with him and keep the romance in there and the the spark alive in there and and never stop dating your spouse um but i would say one of the most important things 
Um, in our marriage, and I recommend for any marriage, is to really fervently pray for your spouse. Mm. And just pray, 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 pray without ceasing. Mm -hmm. And um, just cover them in prayers and tell them you're praying for them and ask them how they can pray for you. There were, there were times in our marriage that were really, really, really rough. And we were each going through our own kind of uh, experiences. And um, we both walked through a lot of trauma healing and things like that. And I knew that he was just really hurting. Mm. And my position in that was to just pray him through it because I could be there for him. I can love him. I can do what I know to do, but it wasn't touching the depth of the pain yeah. that he was going through. And only God can touch that pain. Right. And so my uh, job became to be a fervent prayer for my husband and for our family, for our grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And um, prayer is mighty. It, yeah. is, uh, it is a weapon that is mighty in the kingdom. It's not used a whole lot. That's because true. we don't see results right away. We think it's not working and that's not true. Right. Uh, everything has a, a perfect timing to it. Mm -hmm. And we need to be about praying for one another and for marriages. Right. Yeah. So without saying it, because we've already talked about it, the, the most critical thing for us was the, the foundation of our faith. Mm -hmm. That was the most critical thing. It's, it's probably the greatest reason why we stayed together for all these years, because we always knew that God was in it, that God loved us, that we loved each other, and that what was happening because of our love with our kids, with our grandkids, and with the families around us was too important to just throw away. Right. It's just way too important. You have so many aspects of your lives that are touching the lives of all the people around you that if you walk through some kind of a separation or divorce, it destroys so much right. other stuff. There's like this, all this collateral damage that people don't realize. And Lori would be afraid that, you know, when things were difficult that I would leave. And that's, I would, I would always tell her, hey, we have built this marriage now for the last X amount of years, whatever it was at the time. And I said that there's no way that I would take all that we built and throw it away for some stupid reason that we need to talk about. I said, I will never do that. You can be rest assured that no matter what else happens, we will always work through this because I'm not going to destroy something that you and I have spent years building. I'm not mm -hmm. going to do it. It just did not make sense to me, not just spiritually, which is really a big part of it, but even physically and emotionally and mentally, it just didn't make sense to me. It's like, who does that? You know, you, you spent so much time building this. Why would you just trash it? It just doesn't make sense. Right. And so for us, the foundation of our faith was always the main thing. Like Jesus said, build this house on the rock and it will stand. Wow. Thank you. You're welcome. Nice. Wow. Thank you. No. Nope. You are welcome. I have learned a lot. <laughs> you guys are spiritual giants in our lives and we love you and we're so grateful for you. We love you too. Thank you. Yeah, we're just really thankful for you and, and, and Nate and your girls because the Lord has allowed us to be a part of your journey. Yes. He really has allowed us. And even though I feel like it, there were points when I feel like I was inserting myself in when <laughs> I probably should have stepped back. No, I really knew that the Lord was giving me very specific words for you and for Nate and for your girls that mattered. They mattered. Yes. yes. And so I will always take you know, that. We, we have seen that in your lives. We've seen the difference that the Lord has made. <clears throat> and we're just really thankful that the Lord, the Lord allowed us to be 
the catalyst in some of those things and to speak his truth to you. Yes, me too. It's been a great journey. It has, and here's to more. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. We still want to be grandparents to your kids. Uh, good, 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 good. <laughs> I want you to do that too. <laughs> All right, well, thank you again, and I will see you guys soon. Okay. Awesome, thank you. God You're bless welcome. you. Bye. Bye-bye. I had such a wonderful time talking to Lori and Sam, and I actually didn't know a lot of their marriage story or their parenting journey, so a lot of that was new to me. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Here are some takeaways from the episode. Number one, if you are a person of faith, make your faith a foundation for all that you do so you will always have a solid foundation to fall back on. Number two, having good communication with your partner is key. Be open and honest about what you want. Discuss your marriage, children, finances, sexual intimacy, current and future goals and desires for not only yourself, but for your marriage and family as well. Number three, always be willing to work difficulties out and not run from your problems. Know what is and what isn't an option for you. Number four, ask yourself what you're allowing to define you and what decisions you may be making based on fear. Do the inner work to move past any fear-based decisions so you can make the best decisions possible. And number five, put your partner first. Respect, honor, and love them well, and always seek the best for them. Intentionally pour into one another. If you have children, this will set a great example for them to follow and show them how to treat others, as well as how they should expect to be treated. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this first episode on marriage. If you did enjoy it and you haven't rated or reviewed the show yet, I would super duper appreciate that. You can rate and review me on whatever platform you listen on. And I hope you guys have a wonderful day. And Nate and I will be back for Authenticate and Nate this Friday. Have a great day.